Happy Independence Day to you all. It's what better thing to do on Independence Day but to worship God together. I'm so grateful that we get to do that. My heart was met with the Lord this morning as we worship together. I pray that the Lord will continually speak to you as you dive in our new sermon series called, you side up there, Faith That Moves. The question that we want to ask you throughout the summer is this. How does your faith actually manifest? How does your faith enable you to fulfill the calling that God has given to you? How does your faith actually move into action in your life? It might look different from person to a person. Perhaps some of you who are sitting out there think, well, I know I am called to love God and to love my neighbor, uh, but I am not quite sure what that means for me yet. I need to discern how he's calling me to do what he wants me to do, how to spend my time. That is fine. I pray that as you dive in the series throughout the summer, you will continually see how God is calling you and equipping you to do the ministry of the Lord. On the other side, there are also some of you, you exactly know, you're like, God, I know you have been speaking my heart about this. I know I must do something about it. But you are kind of unable, you're kind of stuck in a limbo. Wherever side you're on, I pray that as we dive in this new series, Faith That Moves, Based on the Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Fame, I pray that you will be inspired by the man and woman of God who went before us, who points us to Jesus Christ, what he has done. See, faith is like a muscle. You must have work it out to let it grow. It just doesn't grow if you just keep it to yourself. You must attend a spiritual gym daily to work out your faith. And as you do that, you will see your faith strengthened and grow. So today, we want to talk about the very foundation of where we are going as an introduction of the entire series. So three things that we will learn today based on Hebrews 11. First, is, I mean, we are going to talk about faith the entire summer. So might as well, let's define what faith is first. So what is faith? We will ask a question. What is faith? And second, we'll ask, how does it grow in our lives? How does it work out? How does faith actually develop? And lastly, third, how do we get this faith? I mean, you want the faith, but how do we, where do we get it? We will talk about those three. Now, that being said, would you open up the word of God to Hebrews chapter 11? Let's open up the word of God together to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, we will read the first three verses, and then we will jump down to verse 7 and take a look at the first example of faith that we have chosen, Noah. So let me read Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and then 7. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. This 
is God's word. So now, throughout the theological history, people often fell into error when they try to simplify a complex reality. Complex reality requires a fine nuance, but when you try to simplify it, you run toward one way or another that becomes reductionistic, misses out the another fine nuance of the other side of the meaning. And one of those words, I think, is also faith. This is what I mean by that. Um, broad sweeping statement here. If you grew up in a Christian home, the faith was something that is assumed in your life. You knew the Lord in very young age, and also not politically, but temperament-wise. If you have some sort of conservative temperament, you tended to understand faith more as a moral virtue. You know it, you own it, you don't doubt it. So the mark of spiritual maturity to you is to have no doubt but certainty and confidence. That's what faith is. On the other side of the spectrum, perhaps in your life you had to search for faith. Perhaps you converted from different religions to Christianity. Or in your semi-adulthood, you had to search for all the religion and found the truth in faith. Or perhaps you have a little bit more progressive temperament in the way that you go about life. You understand faith more as an intellectual gymnasium. It's sophistication. You must ask a question. Doubt and being skeptical, it's not a bad word. Actually, through examination, through cross-examination, you see that faith is found. Which one is right? Both. We will see that in today's text. Faith is, yes, it's a mystery that ought to be embraced and trusted with confidence. At the same time, faith is something that must be examined and assured and be convicted by. It's the mystery and yet reality. It's believing and yet examining. What do I mean by that? Let's jump in together. Verse 1. Now, we use NIV translation here. Some translations differ one from the other, how they translate the word. But let me read verse 1 here. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. If you're a note taker, two big words that I need you to circle or write down is confidence and assurance. Now, first, faith is confidence. That's where we get the English word hypostatus. What that means, hypostasis, hypostasis, means foundation and essence. It's the, it's the hypostasis of what you believe. It's the combination of two words. Hupo means under, underlying substance. And status means all that is above. So faith is the underlying state or underlying essence, substance that supports all the others. It's the confidence without a shadow of doubt. You know it, you own it. And what does it say? Faith is confidence in what we hope for. We don't hope for what is behind. Hope is realized. But we hope with a certainty. Biblical hope is not a wishful expectation, but a certain reality. With faith, with that hypostasis, you own it completely through the lens of faith. You are confident that God has been good. He is good. And he will continually to be good. There is no shadow in, of doubt in your mind. You believe it. You own it. There is that confidence, confidence. Because God has been good. You have confidence that his hope in us, his promise in us will continually carry, carry out for good. Now, church, don't you want that? 
if I must confess before you, one of my spiritual chronic illness is that I'm a serial doubter of what if, if only. What could I have done? Why should I have done better? My life would have been different. And rather than being confident about his goodness in the future, what we hope for, I constantly look back and go through endless self-examination, self-evaluation. It's the bottomless pit of actually self-saving mentality. I'm examining myself until I run out of it. Psychoanalyze, what could I have, what should I have, and I constantly doubt myself. And it's paralyzing sometimes. Church, if you're there, would you believe that God has been good to you in his past? What he has ordained, he brought it to pass today. And he's continually working out his good in your life. You can be rest assured and be confident that what he has promised us, the hope we have, he will continually bring it to pass because that's who God is. Do you have this kind of confidence within your church? The faith is confidence in what we hope for. Now, everything in your life, yes, God has brought it to pass what he has ordained in your life. That's the very promise that we have. And sometimes we constantly just look back and go through endless self-condemnation without having this firm foundation of hope in confidence where I just keep saying, oh man, God, I don't know, I don't know. Church, if your life has been marked by failures and some doubt, if you're in Christ Jesus today, have this confidence, conviction, the foundation, in essence, that what he has promised, he will carry us through. And J.R. Tolkien, in his last book, In the Lord of the Rings, after the great battle is over, they thought everything was lost. But the Sam Gamge wakes up and asks, is everything sad going to come untrue? The answer is resounding yes. Everything said is going to come untrue. And we have this kind of confidence, not because of who we are, but because who we believe in Jesus. Do you believe that without a shadow of doubt today, wherever you are, in your darkness, in your success, in your failure, have this confidence without a shadow of doubt. Now, that being said, at the same time, Read the next word. What does it say? Faith is not only confidence in what we hope for, but also what? Assurance about what we do not see. Now, so faith is something we embrace. We know it. There is confidence in our heart without a shadow of doubt. And that being said, there is also assurance. It's the unique Greek word, elenkos. You only use it here in the entire New Testament, which actually means proof, evidence, cross-examination. Through cross-examining what this is all about, you don't see it yet, but you believe in death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through that careful examination, your faith is strengthened. So yes, faith is believing, but also examining. You reassure, you assure about what we do not see. You know deep down in your mind, there's more than what we see with our naked eyes. There's unseen reality that is very present. Faith is mystery. And yet, it's also a reality. It's believing and yet also examining. It's all those to combine together. Our confidence in God is secured because we have tested out, worked our faith. We have examined it by attending spiritual gym daily. 
So the question that we must ask then, how does faith actually grow? How does it work out in your life? Read verse 3 with us, second. How does faith grow? By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So with both certainty and mystery and reality in mind, we understand with another cognitive language that we make sense that there is more than what we see. If verse 1 tended to focus on the future reality, we have confidence in what we hope for. Verse 3 brings us to backward, right? We know, understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Through past, present, and future, your present faith is strengthened by understanding the past faithfulness of God. He was good to you, Chelton, when you did not know the way of the Lord. He was good to you even you thought, I really messed that up. He was still faithful carrying out his will in our lives. Do you believe that? In the past, he has created a world and he was working in us even before we know it. And your faith grows. So by the way, in your past, do not doubt the goodness of God. He has been good to you in your past. And in your present now, whether you see it or not, there's so much more than what we see with our eyes. There's unseen reality that God is still working out for what is good in your life. Do you believe that he has been faithful to you and he has been good to you? And yet, also by faith, we understand that he will continually carry out his good and sovereign plan in our future, things that we hope for. God is at work whether you see it or not. When you believe that, understand that your faith is continually strengthened. Jonathan Edwards, one of the Puritans, the very first sermon he preached was called Christian Happiness. And if I can simplify his three main points, his basic three points, his main basic three points were bad things will turn off for good. Good things cannot be taken away. Best things are yet to come. Do you really believe that, Shelton? That all has happened in your life from past, present, and future. God is at work. So then how do we attend a spiritual gym and work out this faith in our daily lives? Read verse 2. This is what the ancients knew. This is what the ancients were commanded for. Now, I want to be careful how I speak about this. By goodness and the sovereignty of God, uh, we are blessed to have many, many different translations of English Bible. Uh, there are many nations and tribes don't even have a single language, and we have so many great translations that we are so grateful they are great. Now, that being said, sometimes there are times that really meaning gets lost in translation. Uh, what, when we hear the word commanded, what do we hear? Good job, patting in the back. You've done okay. It's a participation trophy, participation award. You did it. Is that what the commanded means? No, actually. It's the Greek word martyreo, which is where we get the English word martyr. It's so much more than just good job on your pad. So much more than just participation award. These people of God, it means to bear witness, testify. Those people who have gone before us are ancient because they believed in what Jesus Christ has done, his death and resurrection. They laid down their life. They worked out their faith for the glory of God and they were commanded for. 
It's not just a participation award, but it's so much more deeper, so much more profound that you lay down your life for what you believe in for this cause. So, Chelton, how does your faith move you today? What is the calling of God in your life look like? Now, some of us are thinking, well, Jim, thank you very much for telling us faith that moves, but I got no clue what that means in my life. Well, I'm glad you said that. Sometimes I feel that way too. This week, I ask all of you to write out the mission statement of your life. Can you do that? This is a little homework for you. What I mean by mission statement of your life is what is your life all about? And we know as believers of God, we are to love God and to love neighbor. But what does that mean for you? Now, practically speaking, let me give up one of the mission statements I have in my life. Uh, this past week, I got to see some friends that I did not get to see for about a year. So they're like, Jen, it's so good to see you. How's Chelton? How's everything? How's your life? And I caught myself saying this a couple of times that I told them, you know, I feel like I just donated my life to Chelton. I gave my everything. I wake up thinking about you, go to bed thinking about you. I spend countless hours preparing a sermon. And you say, oh, and that's all you got? Well, sorry. <laughs> I, bl- I blood sweat over. I, I sweat blood. I blood sweat. What does that mean? I prepare the message of God and to care for you as best as I can. And I was like, man, I don't have much life beyond that because I spent so much time this one year transitioning. And I was thinking, man, I don't want to get burned out, but is that okay with my life? Okay to do that? And I actually realized, yeah, I reviewed my mission statement, which is to love God and to love my neighbor by faithfully proclaiming the word of God as best as I can and by faithfully shepherd the flock God has entrusted. So I was okay with that. On the other side, there are things that I, as I reviewed my mission statement of my life, I was like, this is not good. It's this. Now, if you do not have a proper guide of your life, children, you know what happens? You are just drawn to the attractions of your heart. You just do, oh, this looks cool. Let me just spend some time doing that. Or you are just doing, taking care of immediate needs around you. Oh, I need to take care of this, so I'll just do that. And before you know it, you look back, whoa, it's July. Where has my half of a year go? I mean, not that things that you've done were bad, those may be a very good thing, but it's then in light of what God has called you. Did you really work out your faith where you were just going about the desires of your heart? One of those for me was caring too much about finance. As I was reviewing my mission statement, I realized that, man, past six months, why did I think financial planning is great? That's some of you, that's your job. So good for you, that may be part of your mission statement. For me, I got enough that I need for life, but why did I think too much, spend my too much time worrying about that? I realized that's not part of how I work on my faith, and I needed to correct my course in that. How is the mission statement of your life? What is the purpose of your life that God has called to you? For some of you, Chelton, it may be the faithfully, as best as you can, with patience, parenting your young children. That's a great calling God has given you. Go at it with a wholeheartedly. For some of you, the very calling that God has given you to love God and to love neighbor may well mean to give excellence at your work that God has called you in your vocation. For some of you, at this season of time, you really need to devote your time to your spouses perhaps. So you say, oh God, your calling in my life at this season is to really give more attention to my wife and my husband for the stronger marriage. All that when you examine your calling in life to fulfill that, it will require some sacrifice. 
Mission statement gives you focus, but it is often costly too. But do you know where you are heading with your life? By remembering that he has been good to you in your past, he's good to you now, he'll always be good to you. Very carefully think about what God has called you and examine your life. Because once you have that, once you understand that, then you will begin to see, okay, how does my faith actually need to manifest it today? What has God called me? You will begin to able to discern and be able to take step by step here. So now today, let's take a look at one of our men of God who have gone before us, how he worked out his faith. Verse 7, his name is Noah. Let me read verse 7 here. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. If you read Genesis 6 to 9-ish, there is an account of flood. God tells Noah, hey, the earth is wicked. People are terrible. So why don't you build an ark? I'm going to bring down the rain and judgment. So Noah begins to build this ark in faith, believing that God will carry out what he has promised. Can you imagine what Noah has gone through? He believed in what we did not see. Just like verse 1, you believe in what you do not see yet. He believed that there is coming judgment. So based on that God's promise, he begins to build an ark. Yes, you may be thinking, well, Jim, that's so much easier for Noah. God literally told him. What about me? God doesn't tell me that. Well, that's why you need to write out your mission statement and think about it. But for Noah, it was very clear. So he goes at it. And as he goes at it, his obedience begins to meet with God's faithfulness. And he continually grows. And do you see the confidence in his heart as he goes about it? Can you imagine the ridicule that Noah endured? As he builds an ark, I'm like, what in the world are you doing, man? Middle of nowhere. You're building this ark. When you build a ship, you build it near the ocean. But how are you going to let it float? It was a massive ship. But by faith, he condemned the world. What does that mean? It means to prove it wrong. Prove it. He had the resilience faith. Yes, you may mock at me, but I know what God has called me. I'm going to faithfully go at it. I don't care what you think of me. I don't even care what I think of myself. Only thing that matters is what God thinks of me. I'm going to go at it and prove it wrong. It's the confidence and also conviction. Confidence and assurance. It's the mystery and yet reality that he put faith into action by building this ark regardless of what others were saying at that time. Don't we want this kind of confidence, Chelton? Don't we want this kind of resilient faith that does not matter what others think, does not even matter what I think of myself, but we go at it because we believe in the promise of God. So the question is, how do we get this type of faith? How do we get this kind of equilibrium, resilient faith that can withstand all kinds of storms of life, all kinds of trials that God may be bringing upon your life? What did Noah do in verse 7? In holy fear, he built on what ark? What is the ark? It's a massive ship. All who enter into that ark will be safe in the day of judgment. Why? Because while the judgment of rain is falling on earth, the very judgment is falling on the ark. Ark becomes the refuge. Ark becomes the protection. Ark becomes your deliverer in times of persecution, trial, and judgment. 
So today, ask yourself, what is the what and who is the ark of your faith? If the ark of faith is based on your decision-making abilities, perhaps, functionally speaking, then what are you going to do when you begin to doubt your decision? You will peril. You're like, oh, was I wrong the whole time? What am I supposed to do? What if the ark of faith that you will put the substance, underlying substance, it's all about money, power, success, a romantic interest? What are you going to do when all that fails? Money comes and goes. There are times of success. There are times of poverty. What are you going to do? What arc of your faith is based on how well your children are doing, how well your health is doing? What are you going to do? All those are not a bad thing, but when it claps, it claps. But who is the true arc of our faith today, Shelton? For us, just like the ark becomes a refuge for all who have entered in, the true ark is Jesus Christ. Instead of judgment falling on us because we believe in him, he is the foundation of faith, judgment falls on him. When the rain beats down the ark, when the judgment of God falls down on ark, it fell on our true ark, Jesus Christ. So when we enter, when we believe in him, we are safe forever and evermore. The very judgment of God that rained and fell and filled the earth, all others drown. But the very judgment, all who entered in ark, only makes those people of God rise. Yes, the water rise. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, what he has done for you, Chelton? Do I truly believe that he has been good to me? Do I really believe that he really is the refuge of my soul? Not my endless self-examination. Not my self-sober-mindedness. Not my ability and capacity to do whatever God has called me to do. But do you and do I really believe that Jesus Christ himself is the true ark of our soul? Enter in him. Believe in him. There is refuge for you. That's how you can rise. When all others drown in the flood, we rise because we believe in what our true ark. This ark is pointing to Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. How do you get this faith? How do you get it? It says that, what does it say? Noah became an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. What is the heir? Do heirs earn their money, earn their inheritance? No. Heirs are the ones that receive inheritance just because of who they are. They don't earn it, they don't deserve it, but it is given to them because of their position. We are an heir of Christ when you believe in it. We don't earn our righteousness, but it is given to us all because of not what we have done, but Jesus Christ has done for us. What and who is the foundation of your faith, Chelton, today? If you are searching, if I am searching today, I pray that your heart will find rest in Christ alone. Yes, that faith is sometimes very tricky. It's the mystery that ought to be embraced with confidence. And also the faith is the cross-examination, being assured, proof, evidence combined. We work out our faith daily by attending spiritual gym, carrying out the calling of God that he has given to us with confidence, with assurance, knowing that God has been good to you, he will continually be good to you, and he will carry out his good will that our God is a sovereign. You can move forward carefully and yet graciously and yet courageously knowing that our God goes before us. And that very foundational faith 
is Jesus Christ. He is the ark of our soul. Do you know what Jesus Christ has done? Instead of judgment falling on us, it fell on Jesus Christ. So all who enter in him, we are safe. So this summer, I pray that you will continually re-anchor your faith, your functional re-anchor, functional anchor of your faith in Christ alone. There are many functional and operating anchor and many other things in our lives. But may we continually readjust our anchor to Christ, Him alone, what He has done for us. Let's pray together. God, we confess that we often lay down our functional anchor of our soul in many things. What is there for us today? Allow us to confess and examine our hearts before you. And God, I pray that you reorient our heart, that we will lay down that anchor of faith in Christ alone. And may we not look back, forget what lies behind, but reaching forth what is before with confidence and faith. Oh God, help us for we are unable on our own ability So we look to you for help and guidance. Jesus Christ, the one who fell, who endured the judgment of God for us. May we enter in your promise by believing in you. We are an heir of your righteousness because of what you have done. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to flesh out how the faith moves us this summer so that we can faithfully live out what you have willed in our lives. We commit ourselves to you. In your precious name we pray, amen.